You have chosen the right service. Uh, last, week, la- last hour, we were packed and people walked out because there were no seats. So you, are, you, you have chosen well to have some breathing room here today. It's a great day to celebrate. I love uh, Christmas falling on Sunday. Hey, let's do it again in six years. What do you say? Uh, let's do that. And welcome to our guests that are here this morning. You got a Christmas card when you came in. It's our Christmas card with four sections. You got some crayons. So kids, if you want to draw a picture of something that strikes you in the scriptures we want to look at, or adults, don't be ashamed. If you want to color, you're welcome to do that. We bought you some crayons too. Or you can be bored sitting there doodling and people will think you're doing something along with the service today. Uh, Anything you want to do with it, okay? What did you say? What did he say? Well, we're here. We're just glad you're here. And so we're going to look at four different passages of Scripture today. We're just going to touch on them briefly. We start with, we see him. The Hebrew writer, we're not sure who wrote the book of Hebrews, but this is what he says. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom appointed heir of all things, And through whom also he made the universe. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. And he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. And speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels spirits and his servants flames of fire. But about the son, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. has a lot to say about angels. So kids, you might want to draw, or adults, draw an angel while I'm talking here a couple of minutes or something else that reminds you of something in this text. Christmas is full of contrasts, isn't it? We know that. For instance, there's a lot of joy that comes with this season, but at the same time, people who are worshiping today, maybe you, um, are heavy-hearted about something. There's a great burden that people carry often in their lives as well. There are, there are lots of happy gatherings that go on, uh, but there is a lot of loneliness this season of the year as well. There is much generosity that is expressed, but at the same time, there's a lot of shoplifting that's going on as well. Um, the Christmas message itself is filled with contrast because we have this great birth announcement, but we have this young Jewish girl who's far away from home and goes through labor, labor and childbirth uh, without any family support in a faraway place from her home. We have these distant sages that come sometime before Jesus turns uh, two years of age. And uh, they, are, they are uniquely drawn because of this star that appeared. And yet at the same time, we have this king who's extremely jealous about this one who they're seeking called King of the Jews. So he, he slaughters babies in Bethlehem, aged two years and under. Lots of contrasts. The Hebrew writer begins with naming contrasts. There are three basic contrasts. You can't get out of the first two verses. If we could go back to that slide at the beginning of the, of the Scripture. You see, there's the contrast of in the past, 
how the text starts with verse 2, in these last days. That's a contrast. In, these, in the past, then in these last days. The last days referring to the age of the church, these 2,000 years. It denotes a turning point in history when Jesus was born, and the whole world identifies it just by the turning of the calendar. The calendar itself is marked by, uh, by Jesus' birth. And so we have this reminder that a page is turned where we get to live when we do. This time period in which, in which God's, God's mystery has been revealed based upon this person that came to earth, Jesus Christ. We have the contrast of to our ancestors versus to us. It's a shift between recipients. You know, ours is an ancient faith. Because of that, um, in our ancient faith that we study, we have the temple and there are Jewish rites, there are invading nations, there's the discipline of God on his own people, the Jews. This is not simply, though, an ancient historical religion. This is also a most contemporary faith. That's what I love about the church today and about how many different kinds of churches there are that exist. Today, there are churches in coffee shops and in and school auditoriums like Reunion, our, our other site. You know, there are, there are churches that meet in houses today. You know, a house church in Alaska right there. That girl is in Alaska in a house church. I just talked to her in the hall. Isn't that great? Uh, this, the, the church is in so many different ways it, because w- w- people are drawn differently to different places, locations, different communications. And this message of Christmas reaches to the deepest parts of who we are. No matter what we're going through, no matter what we're experiencing, Jesus Christ has a word of encouragement, a word of wisdom for us. This faith is not an ancient faith simply. It is a contemporary faith. And the other contrast is by the prophet versus by the son. So there's a shift in the mode of communication that God uses. In the past, God spoke through patriarchs. And through judges and through the kings, specially anointed by God. And through the prophets, specially called by God. But in these times, who do we have? We have the Son. Those prophets and even the angels, the Bible says, longed to look into the things they were talking about. They didn't quite get it. Isaiah the prophet didn't quite understand what he was announcing. But we get to it. All the pieces have come together. All the pieces of the puzzle have come together so we get to understand the movement of God through history that we can enjoy where we are today. All these voices of the Christmas story, we love to listen to. The, 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 the servant spirit of Mary, may it be to me as you have said, or, 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 the, or the sages from the east, the magi, we have followed a star, we've come to worship him. Or the shepherds who come, the common, these common shepherds that are cut off from temple worship because of their uncleanness, they're welcomed here to worship the baby. We learn something from all their voices, but all their voices point to one voice, one voice, the voice of Jesus Christ, who is the central voice in our lives today. While many are blind to him, we're here because we have seen him with the eyes of faith. Right now, we want to give thanksgiving to God. I hope you feel that thanksgiving today. So I want us to stand. Would you stand where we are, please? And join yourself just in small circles of people, your family and maybe others in your circle, and maybe one or two people in your circle. Just give thanksgiving to God that we have the opportunity to know this person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's join together and pray. We see him. And we receive him. 
Uh, there's a lot of pre-Christmas stress. I hope yours hasn't been too stressful. Uh, I remember years ago when our kids were small, we found out the day before Christmas Eve that they really wanted more than anything beanbag chairs. Do you remember those hot items? I went all around Indianapolis Christmas Eve morning looking for stupid beanbags. And I was so stressed out by the time the Christmas Eve service was that night. How ridiculous. You know, there's post-Christmas stress as well. People who aren't very well-rooted in the message of Christmas find this huge letdown often after Christmas because there's such a huge buildup. And that, you know, if, if, there, if there's not more substance in the celebration than in the, 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 all the amenities of it without the person of Christmas, then that's exactly what you're left with. You're left with nothing at the end of it all. Tesco is a British retailer, and they did an advertisement for a new job position, Christmas Light Untangler. You had to be, uh, you had to be able to un, un, untangle a 10-foot string of lights in less than three minutes. No, thank you. You know, Jesus Christ stepped into this world to untangle a mess. And he's the only one qualified to take all these pieces of our life that are so fragmented and see it's so distorted and convoluted that he can untangle our lives and give them direction and give them meaning and a sense of purpose. When John writes this portion, he writes much later than the other three biographers of Jesus, Mary, uh, Mary, yeah, Mary, Mary and Joseph and the shepherds, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. He, he, he writes much later than them. And when he writes, he writes at a time when people aren't questioning the deity of Jesus like they do in our culture. They believed he was the son of God, but what they had a hard time wrestling with was his humanity. And so they believed that somehow there was this, there was this false teaching in the church that, that he was less or something different than human. He was so godlike, but he wasn't really a human. He was an emanation out of God. So that's why, that's why when John writes this, he uses this Greek word lagos in verse 1. In the beginning was lagos. It was a Greek word in that culture where the Greeks, the Greek philosophers said that there was this sort of existence of thought, a standard by which we should live that's very ethereal, untouchable, we're all accountable to it, but nobody can quite understand it. So when John tries to help us understand Jesus, he, he applies this word to Jesus. He is the one, you Greeks, he is this logos that you've been talking about, you don't understand it's a person, an eternal person that has come and been made flesh and he's living among us. He didn't simply dress like us and look like us. He didn't come incognito. He really was a human being, became completely vulnerable just like their own babies and ours are today. John tells us that his own people, in other words, the Jews, couldn't accept it. He didn't fit, Jesus didn't fit their preconceived notions of what a Messiah should look like. And so they rejected him. But then John says, to those who do receive him, he gives us the privilege, the right, the power to be children of God. And that doesn't happen. It's not by our own doing. It's by God impacting our hearts. And that's what we get to be today, children of God. You know, in a recent year, they tell us, that $972 million worth of gift cards one year went unredeemed. I probably had one of them. This is the greatest gift of all. The Apostle Paul calls this gift 
indescribable, unspeakable, and he goes unwelcome by the lives of most. I trust that's not you today. I trust you're here because you are welcoming him more deeply into your life, and that's what we get to do all the time. Right now, we're going to participate in this great meal that, for us, is better than any Christmas meal. Now, we just did this a few hours ago, didn't we? We just held these emblems last evening at our Christmas Eve service. And you might say, again? Well, did you have supper last night? Did you have breakfast this morning? Glutton. No, no. No. This meal feeds our souls in ways that nothing else does. And we cannot remember and say thank you too often. And that's what we're doing. So as we take these emblems today, we are saying to God, we want to continue receiving all that you are, all that you have for us. We never have enough. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. It's this meal that is more satisfying than any other thing that we take. And we do so in community because we are the body of Christ. So we will prepare by singing this uh, carol together, and then I will pray, and then we partake the bread as, uh, as we are ready, and then we'll take the juice together in unison. We praise the Lord for his uh, new birth that he has. We also here to celebrate him. We see, we, we, we see him, we receive him, and now we celebrate him. Read together out loud with me Psalm 98. Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won a mighty victory. His holy arm has shown his saving power. The Lord has announced his victory and has revealed his righteousness to every nation. He has remembered his promise to love and be faithful to Israel. The ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. Shout to the Lord, all the earth. Break out in praise and sing for joy. Sing your praise to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and melodious song, with trumpets and the sound of the ram's horn. Make a joyful symphony before the Lord, the King. Let the sea and everything in it shout his praise. Let the earth and all living things join in. Let the rivers clap their hands in glee. Let the hills sing out their songs of joy before the Lord. For the Lord is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with justice and the nations with fairness. Perhaps it, perhaps it seems a bit odd to have this kind of psalm on Christmas morning. It's a battle psalm. It's a, it's a warrior's song. It's a, really classified as a, an enthronement psalm or, or a, 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 an exaltation psalm. It's a psalm of celebration. There's been a battle that's gone on, and they're celebrating the victory of the king. It's about a, a victorious king. A king who exercises justice and righteousness on the earth. He's an overcoming king. We we announce today and we believe that a king has been born to us. A son has been given. He is mighty to save, the Bible says. He is able to do immeasurably more than we can think or imagine, the New Testament tells us. He fights for us. Do you know that? When you're in Jesus Christ, he fights for you. Even before we, we... 
We surrender to him. He is fighting for us in ways that we don't even know. You may feel far away this morning. Maybe you don't know where your faith is. Maybe you don't have faith. Maybe you don't believe much this morning. But I want you to know, even so, God is, for, is fighting to have you as his own. And, and once he has you, he fights with you in every battle of your life. What are you battling today? Whatever your battle is, God wants to empower you by the presence of his spirit in your life. That's what he does. You know, lots of psalms speak of creation, praising the Lord, and all the, the stars singing to God. Uh, that, that, those are, that's mentioned over and over again. I was reading this recently, and I found it fascinating as I think about this psalm and how it is so universal in its appeal that all the nations are involved, can be involved with this overcoming one. The writer said, research in the field of bioacoustics has revealed that every day we are surrounded by millions of ultrasonic songs. Did you know, for instance, that the electron shell of the carbon atom produces the same harmonic scale as a Gregorian chant? Or that whale songs can travel thousands of miles underwater? Or that meadowlarks have a range of 300 notes? Super-sensitive sound instruments have discovered that even earthworms make faint staccato sounds. Arnold Summerfield, German physicist and pianist, observed that a single hydrogen atom, which emits 100 frequencies, is more musical than a grand piano, which only emits 88 frequencies. Science writer Lewis Thomas summed it up this way, if we had better hearing and could discern the singing of seabirds, the rhythmic drumming of schools of mollusks, or even the distant harmonics of flies hanging over meadows in the sun, the combined sound might lift us off our feet. He is the one worthy of our worship, worthy of celebrating every day of our lives. And we have in view the nations of the world, and that in view, when, when people's from every tribe, language, and tongue will, will, be will be surrounded around the throne of God and we're going to sing and delight in him forever and ever. This king comes to make his name known. And that's why we exist as a church. That's why we do what we do. We believe wholeheartedly in the truth of what we celebrate today. This is the child we celebrate, born, born to us, a savior. Right now, we're going to give our tithes and offerings. I realize we... Uh, we live in a different time. I don't write checks anymore. And so I give on our PCC phone app my offering. Uh, some of you give by the website. Some of you have automatic withdrawal from your accounts. Some people are still writing checks and put them in a yellow envelope. And uh, anyway, is good. And my, my philosophy is uh, God, has, God has commanded us to do so. Um, we do so however we do it with joy and thanksgiving. And with a heart that's devoted to him. He's the heart of the giver. It's what's so important in all of this. So there's some locations right down here in front to put our offerings. There's a few places in the balcony as well. You will note up there. And so we're going to just sing and celebrate the goodness of God to us. And we have the privilege of joining together what little resources we have. But we join them for this great cause in the world that his purpose will be preached and proclaimed as far reaching as we can go. For his glory. Let's do that. Let's stand together and sing and give. 
We see him, we receive him, we celebrate him, and we go for him. Isaiah 52 says this, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up your, their voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. We've learned much from the prophet Isaiah uh, since Thanksgiving as we've looked at his prophecies about the coming of Christ. No wonder he's called the gospel prophet because of all the, all the allusions he gives to the coming of the Messiah that, that, that would, would come to the earth. You know, he writes at a time right now, he's giving hope to his, his initial audience. Because in 722 B.C., that's yet to come after Isaiah says this, the Assyrians are going to come in and they're going to wipe out the northern kingdom of God's people and lead them away captive to Assyria. Some 150 years later, uh, the Babylonians are going to come into the southern kingdom and they're going to wipe them out and take them away captive a thousand miles away. And so God's people see nothing but tragedy. They're experiencing nothing but a sense of hopelessness. But there's a remnant of people who still believe God isn't finished, that he's going to be true to his covenant. And what does God do? He raises up a different foreign king, a king by the name of Cyrus king of the Persians, who is sympathetic to the plight of of the Jewish people. And little by little, what does he do? He lets them return to Zion, that is Jerusalem. First under Zerubbabel, a group goes back, and then under Ezra the scribe, and then under Nehemiah, who leads them in rebuilding the wall around Jerusalem in about 52 days. Why did God allow that? Why did God do that? Why would he raise up a foreign king? Because it was all in preparation for the Messiah to be born. It's all a preview to the time in which we live. The Apostle Paul proclaims later in his message, his letter to the Romans, he quotes this same passage, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. He's referring to the gospel, the privilege of you telling a friend about Jesus and living your life in a way that helps people understand that Christ's followers live a different kind of life. It's, it's, it's what makes a, a person like me as a preacher so privileged to stand in front of an audience and announce this greatest of messages and, and to draw people to the living Christ. What a period we get to live in, this period. Last week, Stacy Peters had a little clip from uh, Charlie Brown Christmas, you remember, of Linus telling the Christmas story, teaching us about security. You know, when, when Charles Schultz had, had written that, and uh, was ready for it to be animated and put on the air, there were some questions about it. There were networks that were nervous about having the Christmas message in Schultz's animation of the Charlie Brown Christmas. Even a couple of the producers said, "Uh, I don't know if we should do that. And Schultz simply said to his producers, if not us, then who's going to do it? That's the same question that God has for us. If we're not going to be the ones who tell the message, then who's going to do it? He has called us to partner with him in telling this the greatest message in the world. So that's why we're having our prayer service next week. 
You know, we, we want to pray in next week's service that, 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 that the message of Christ will resound. In fact, if you haven't signed up to pray, please remember, starting at noon on Saturday, we're going to start praying for the new year. Right here in the sanctuary, every half hour, different groups of people coming in. Go online and sign up for a half an hour, an hour or more to come and pray here with other people. You'll just be given a little guide to follow. Even if you don't like to pray out loud, that's okay. Come and just, just pray silently. And uh, if you're not online, there are hard copies over in the hub. You can stop by there and pray. If we're not praying people, friends, this message is not going to be as effective. We're not going to be as effective as getting out, getting out the message. It's got to be proclaimed. We want to pray that our, our new year, 2017, will be the best year we've ever lived for the Lord, both in the quality of our lives and even, even uh, as, as we live lives of influence to other people. What a privilege we have today to be Christmas people to be people of this message who gather together in faith and love this one who has loved us to the nth degree. What a God and what a Savior. We are to tell. So I hope you'll join me in telling the greatest message of all. Let's, let's prepare our hearts. Let's pray for courage. Let's pray for the right spirit as we engage the world around us, all for the glory of Jesus Christ and the light of the fact that he is coming again. Now let's stand together and close our time out singing together.